everyone and welcome to episode 42 of the Talking Football Podcast with me, Derek Clark. Every week we aim to bring you a first-class interview with some of the most interesting characters involved in the beautiful game. If you're just joining us for the first time, you can go back and listen to a vast array of quality interviews in the archives, which can be found on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud and Podbean. This week I had the pleasure of chatting with a proper broadcasting legend, a man who's presented some of the biggest sporting events on the planet over many decades, a true professional in every sense of the word and still going strong, it is of course Jim Rosenthal. It's another candid, honest, funny and thought-provoking interview with an icon in the world of sports broadcasting, so sit back and enjoy this week's episodes of the Talking Football Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Talking Football Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to say we're joined on the line this week by broadcasting royalty in the former Jim Rosenthal. Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Derek, you're very, very kind and uh, good to be speaking to you and that's a heck of an introduction. I'll see if I can live up to the old uh, royalty tag, which I don't get too often, get called a lot of other things, but uh, broadcasting royalty, I'll, I'll do my best for you. <laughs> um, but before we look back at the career, Jim, uh, a glittering career that you've had in uh, in the field, of course the coronavirus is affecting everyone at the moment. In terms of yeah. y- yourself and your family, are you staying safe and how is it affecting you? Well, we are, um, and uh, you know, we're, we're staying safe and healthy, which is the most important thing. And you know, uh, just to say, anybody listening to this that is affected by it, um, my heart goes out to to you, really. Um, and uh, like anybody else, we're, we're confined to the house. My boy Tom, who one or two of, of, of your listeners might know, is a, is a good is a good actor and stand up comedian. He's come back to stay with us, um, and uh, you know, we're, we're doing what everyone else is doing. Uh, which is hunkering down and and um, uh, and hoping this thing passes through. But I get the feeling, Derek, it, 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 could, it could be a long haul, really. And as regards me and and sport, well, basically, there isn't anything, and um, it, it, it's affected a lot of people quite seriously who, who are really, you know, who, who who might be sort of twenty years behind me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I really feel for them as well because a lot of people have been. Have been heavily affected, but obviously no sport means uh, nothing to cover and means no work and no pay for a heck of a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely does. It's um, God knows when when things will get back to some sort of yeah. uh, normality. But um, yeah, you're you're absolutely right there. Um, looking back at the career, then Jim, born in Oxford in 1947. Uh, what, what was life like growing up back then? Yeah, yeah, that makes me that makes me a very old git, doesn't it? I'm sure you, 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 you'll, you'll do the maths in a blink of an eye and hit, hit, hit seventy two. You know, um, I mean, I, I guess I mean in 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 sporting terms, really, it meant that I, I formed an affiliation with with the local football club that, that I still have to this day because I'm quite a loyal sort of person, and they were called Headington then, and they're now called Oxford United, and. Um, and they're still very, very close, close to my heart. And uh, I was born into quite an ap- academic family, and goodness knows what I was doing there, really. And I quickly realised <laughs> that uh, that it, it wasn't for me, and branched out, and and branched out. Actually, did my first bit of reporting, I think, when I was at school, and the school tennis team went and played in a competition at Wimbledon, and I just went along for the ride because I wanted to have a look and and see Wimbledon, where I'd never been. I was about fourteen, and and they actually won this competition out of nowhere. 
And on the on the, on, on the trip back, someone said, someone said, we should do a report about this. And I said, well, I'll have a go at that. And so I, I sat and wrote something out and pushed it through the door of the local paper. And then next day I bought the paper and I mean, it was in there almost word for word. And I, so, the first, so that was the first sort of inkling, the first seeds were sown then, Derek, that I thought I might, I might have a chance of doing this as a career. Yeah, absolutely. And you said that you were interested in your local team, Oxford United, of course, at, yeah. uh, at your side. Did you go along and watch them as a youngster, as a boy? Oh, all the time. All the time. And in fact, uh, I've given them away, but I had a, a real anoraki sort of collection of, of, of programs that would be of absolutely no interest to anybody but a few support Oxford. And I, I kept them religiously and, the, and in good condition. And and, uh, and I think, I mean, Oxford, I mean, even to this day, a little bit, it lives on that, that over the years. We've always had a, had a reputation for upsetting bigger clubs, really. And I cannot tell you how many managers have got the sack where, of big clubs when Oxford have beaten them. And obviously the directors go, blimey, we lose to Oxford, we are in bad shape. And the manager goes. So, <laughs> so, so it was it was a real, a real um, a sort of an underdog club to, to, to support. Obviously, you know, got quite high at one stage and now have come back probably to where they belong, which is between the third and, and, and the second tier, really. But um, it, it, they, they do strange things for football. All your football clubs, don't they? I can't. I yeah. can never really understand people that flit around and, and change the clubs they support. Really, for me, you you get a team early on and 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 you stick with them um, well through thin and thin. Really, in Oxford's case, you know, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> your first uh, job then in, in in journalism, Jim. How did you sort of make make the breakthrough? Did you yeah, leave well, school? You then know, I mean, again, going back and and I was, I was very very fortunate in, in the way that you could train to be a journalist in those days it's, it's, it's very very different these days and and basically the way you did it then was 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 to try and get a job on on the local paper and then um, and move on and and I was lucky enough to, to I mean I, it was probably people say what's the worst time of your life well that was the worst time where you write a, you had to write then there was no email or anything like that and you'd write, I don't know, 25 letters and whatever, and you probably got nothing back from 20 of them. You've got an acknowledgement from a couple, and, and three said, oh, we'll put you on file. And so it, it, it was very, very hard to get that initial foot in the door. And that's why I always say to young journalists that come to me, I said, the hardest part of getting into of, of journalism is getting into it in the first place. And then when you're in there, you've just got to kick and scratch and see how high you can go. But I was very lucky. I had four good years training at Oxford, did all sorts of things that actually have served me in good stead up until the present day, Derek. I like working to a deadline. Yeah. This was the main thing. And, and one guy, when I was first started, and he said, look, you could produce the most beautiful Chaucerian piece of, uh, of writing uh, that uh, has ever been done. If you give it me at 10.31 and the deadline's 10.30, you go straight in the bin. Mm. And and that and that, those sort of lessons and writing against the clock and and having to do things against the deadline they they were great lessons for me to learn and I, I carried them right the way through with me radio TV and and use them to this day really yeah and was it always the the sport uh, reporting and broadcasting you wanted to get into. Well, again, after after Oxford, I moved I moved up to local radio in in um, in Birmingham, and uh, and 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 but I was working on general news all 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 the time then, really. Or the last couple of years in Oxford, I'd done sport, um, and uh, and but I I was then doing a bit of both. 
and 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 I had a, had a real he's a Scot actually a real good station manager guy called Jack Johnson who's a real real larger than life figure at BBC Radio Birmingham and uh, and and I but he was a he, he knew he knew knew the scene he, he knew what 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 it took to to get on and who was good and who was bad he was a great judge of personnel and I sat with him once and I said look. Um, uh, what do you think I should do here? You know, should I should I stick with the new stuff or, or should I just concentrate on sport? And he looked me in the eye and said, "I'll be very honest with you." He said, "He said you're good at news, but they're a lot better than you. Sport, no one can touch you." And so, and that was another great bit of advice that that, that I took on. And then from there, I moved down to work at the BBC in in London in the in the mid seventies. Um, and I think that was yeah. I'm glad I sat down with Jack Johnson that day. I think I bought him a large scotch because he certainly drank a lot of it. I know that, and uh, but it was worth it. It was worth it, Derek. Yeah, uh, and the transition then in, into television, Jim. How did how did that come about? Was it was it was it something that you you always planned to do, or is it sort of sprung on sprung on you? Yeah, I mean, I, I look. Back, I think my only plan, Derek, if I'm honest, was to was to was to really work at it and just to see how high I could get, and that's what I've always always done. Really, I didn't have any, you know, any great. I've got to be doing this by then, or I've got to. If I'm not there, you know, when I'm when, when I'm 28, I've failed. I didn't have that. I just I just grafted and grafted and and, and saw which doors open in front of me. And uh, funny enough, we, we had a Sunday football team in, in, in the seventies, and, and there was a there was a lad who's still a very good friend of mine, a guy called Jeff Fawcett, who played, who was working at London Weekend Television just about every Sunday. And I was on BBC Radio. God, I need bloody jobs going there. And then Jeff, come on, you must have. And then one day he, he turned up and he gave me. He said, "I need a word with you after the game." And he said, you know, "And he said, you know what? I think there might be something for you." Then it was sort of nineteen eighty. ITV had taken Match of the Day away from the BBC. It didn't last very long, but they took it for a few years, and they needed someone to work alongside the legend Brian Moore, who was uh, to do a sort of you know, to cover up the news areas and interviews and things like that. And that's how I that's how I got in. And when I did get there, I was I was the good thing about it was was that the, what we're doing now, the vocal side of it, I was very confident with. Um, face side, well, I mean, you're born with a face, aren't you? No one's got the face that everybody likes, and and it, but the actual broadcasting side of, of, of TV, I, I was pretty comfy, and that served me in good stead. So I had the voice that worked, I had a bit of journalistic training as well, and that was a great start for me at ITV. Yeah, and I was going to say as well, in terms of the transition, I mean, you touched on it there, but did, did it take you a while to, to sort of perfect it, to prefer to, the hosting oh, on, on the forever. television? I mean, I'm <laughs> Be very honest with you, I wouldn't say I've protected it even now, really. <laughs> I mean, it does, it, oh, it, it does, it does take you a long time, and you're very self conscious. And I think I look back at those days, I think if I made a mistake, I listened to too many people. Someone said to me, Oh, you look a bit serious that day, you know, why don't you lighten up a bit? Why don't you relax? Which is the worst word anyone could say to anybody in Broadway, you know, any walk of life, just relax, just relax. <laughs> And then they said, oh, you could just smile a bit more. And there was a story that came up where Kevin Keegan had um, been, had a really nasty knee injury when he was playing at Southampton. He was on the big, he's the big hero of the day, Kevin. And he said, and Brian was announced the main news of the day. Here's Jim Rosenthal. And, and I, I have a big smile on my face. Well, the main news of the day, Brian, <laughs> is, is that Kevin Keegan has suffered a really serious knee injury playing for Southampton. And and in, in those days, there was no, obviously no Twitter or no Instagram, but, the, you know, the phone sort of lit up and, and and the programmer came out to me and said, well, don't you like Kevin King? Why are you laughing when you said that? And I said, I wasn't, was I? And I played, he played at me back and it was horrendous. And I, from that day, I said, look, I'm just going to do this the way I'm comfortable doing it. And, you know, and, and if people like it, they like it. 
like it, and if they don't, they don't. But it was just that was me trying to be somebody that uh, somebody else, really. Um, but it's it, it, it's it, it, I guess in some ways I was lucky in those days that that there wasn't the, the the brutal world that exists now, really, where people are sitting in front of a program and immediately putting out opinions, you know, a second after they've been said on on people on the box. It's quite brutal and quite savage. I, I sort of do largely miss that era. And I'm not that unhappy that I did, Derek, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, it certainly changed days, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's much more brutal now, yeah. you know, I think, as well. I think, um, and, but the, the, you could talk about the Oxford stuff, is that obviously then you're covering very big teams and, you know, they're the biggest teams in the land. And and it, Oxford was a great get-out for me because I'd be in Manchester and people go, oh, you're a Liverpool fan, aren't you? You know, you love Liverpool or you have to go to do a game at Tottenham and, oh, you're an Arsenal fan. Or, mm-hmm. And I just look like, no, I'm not me, I'm an Oxford fan. And, and the look of absolute sympathy with really, though announcing a bereavement in my family or something like that for most people because you'd have to you'd have to <laughs> well, you'd probably have to go to Swindon I think to find someone that dislikes Oxford so it, uh, it was, uh, they were a good get out for me yeah and touching on Oxford of course um, you presented the, the old Milk Cup final League Cup final between Oxford and QPR back in 86 you had your, your yeah, Oxford yeah I did, I did I did do that and, and that was and funnily enough I bet there was a reunion dinner at, at, at Oxford just a couple of, couple of weeks ago because it's um, again and you'd have to be a real anorak to get this one. The reason for the reunion, you know, it was 10 years ago that Oxford got back into the league and and, wow. and got out of the conference. It was Chris Wilder's team that, that, that got, got back yeah. up there. Um, and he's not done too badly since, by the way. Yeah, but, you're right, um, and, and they got they got that team together and, and, and I went along because I, I was a, a director of the club at the time and obviously with my association. And they actually presented me with a, with a sort of the horned hat which I put on at the end of the, of the milk cup. And, and, and it, it was a real double-edged one, that, for me, because I was sitting there and we brilliantly beat QPR 3-0. And, and and I'm thinking, well, it's not going to happen too often in my life. I'm going to be at Wembley talking to the nation, and my little ox sort of won a won a major trophy. And I'm dead right, by the way, it didn't happen again. And I had this hat with me, and I thought, right, I'm going to put this on. And it, this was before it was fashionable to be a, a football fan, if I can put it that mm. that way. It was it was in in the era where broadcasting had to be a bit impartial, really. It, 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 it wasn't a hard and fast rule; it was expected. So I put the hat on, and it was brilliant. And in Oxford, they went mad about it, and they still, they obviously, still remember it to this day. But but one ITV boss, John Bird, who went on to be director general of the BBC, who, who didn't have a humorous bone in his body, really took against me because I did that. And um, and it was a career setback. It did it did, it did set me back a little bit. But wow. I, whenever I go to Oxford and, and 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 I tell that story, and I always and I always end it, and I end it with you as well. I am so chuffed that I did that. Absolutely delighted that I did that because it was an opportunity not to be missed. Really, well, absolutely, you're, you're spot on there, Jim. Um, you've covered also a, a number of World Cups. Um, the first one you did was it was it eighty two? The first one that, that you covered. Yeah, well, that, that was the first. One, that was the first one for ITV. I actually went went to Argentina uh, for, for the BBC in, oh, yeah. in 1978 and, and, and worked and worked over there. But 82 was the first the first one for ITV when I was I was with England as the England reporter, um, which I did in a, in a few World Cups. And, and I, again, I, I was very very lucky with a bit of technology which just came in then and now. Everyone, you know, nobody blinks an eye now. If, if oh, now we joined so and so at the house, or so and so at the hotel, or so and so outside Parliament, etc., etc. But in those days, it was very, very different, and this, and sort of uh, 
the, the instant the, the instant reporting, if I can put it that way, was only just starting. And, and I can remember we, we had a camera and, and we were we, we, at, with the England training camp up in Bilbao in northern Spain. And we actually did a piece live from the swimming pool there with, you know, with um, Ron Greenwood and, 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 and a couple of England players. And this was a real groundbreaker, you know, but I was lucky that, that that bit of kit was around and, and, and I used my journalistic instincts with, with, with that stuff. And we got very good, very close to, to the England teams as well in, in those days where you could, you know, you, 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 you could do that. And, and shared the same hotel. Uh, that those in those days, they would, the players would actually come to our little little TV area to watch the other matches and with English wow. commentary because you know all you know, iPads and things like that. I mean, we're, we're years and years away. So it was a very different era, and it was an era where you could become pally with the players, unlike now where they're you know where they're all very very remote in in the main. And listen, I, 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 the, the friends that that. that um, that I made from that from those days, Terry Butcher, of course, you know, with, with, with a, lot, a lot of Scottish, you know, I, I think he's half Scottish. Terry he loves Scotland yeah. so much, isn't he? Up up there, he, you know, he, he's still about Trevor Francis is still still still, still a, a bit a big pal as well, and and you could make you could make those sort of relationships really that I think is much much harder now with 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 international with with players of that stature. But I was very lucky, and you still put about the World Cups. I uh, had a good old run of World Cups. Ended in South Africa uh, ten years ago. Was the last World Cup I worked on, and um, that, that was that was um, that was a real fun as well to be there in Johannesburg with with South Africa. Staging that World Cup was, was not a bad way to go out. Yeah, definitely. And um, Italia ninety, of course, sticks sticks in the memory for uh, yeah. many many England supporters. You went in there. Yeah. Um, what's your main takeaway in memories of, of that tournament? Well, I, I, I think again, you talk about getting people. I mean, I mean, obviously, dear, you know, dear Gaza was uh, was such a character in that. And again, I was so lucky, really, um, Derek. And, and uh, you pretty much live with the England team, so so. You know, gathering Sardinian sort of nicking bumps and, and, and things like that, and <laughs> that things went on. You thought, you know, what? Well, I'll leave that alone, and and you could do that, um, uh, you know, and and uh, it, it doesn't sound very professional, that does it? But um, you did establish a trust that meant that when when things mattered, that that you did the job better with the players, if I can put it that way, if you understand what I'm saying. But yeah. Gather was, was a, well, I mean, what a player he was, and I actually I sat with him a couple of nights before. The semi-final, and there was an Argentine player who had exactly the same thing happened to him. That he, he got a yellow card and it ruled him out of the final. And I was sitting with him, watch, watching the game on telly with him, and and I said to him, "You make sure you don't bloody well do that." And he went, "I will, Jim. I will. Don't worry." And of course, he, you know, you, yeah. the thing with Gatter, you'd say something to him and you forget it in about three seconds flat. <laughs> and of course, that's you know that's what happened to him against Germany. And I guess that was one of the uh, one of the plus sides of it, if you like, of, of England sort of agony when you, know, you probably might feel a little bit different about. It, but I don't know. But but, but <laughs> losing that semi was at least Gaza. They were spared the enormity of Gaza missing missing yeah. the final. And the other thing, the other individual that really um, imprinted himself on me was, was Bobby Robson, who was, was a wonderful, wonderful man. This we could talk for hours about him. But I consider myself unbelievably fortunate that um, my paths crossed with Bobby Robson. Really, first knew knew in Ipswich, and and again. Established a relationship there and went all the way through. And I actually, I actually, you know, came on for about ten seconds in that sort of charity game that they played at St James's Park, where they got those semi-finalists again together, West Germany and England. 
and a week, just a week before Bobby died there, but an, an astonishing human being. And uh, again, a very, very, very fortunate that uh, our paths crossed. Yeah, I was going to mention him because um, we've had players on before and they speak about the, the generosity of, of the man. They see he was so generous and, and looked, yeah. after the, looked after them so well, I guess. Is that the sort of inclination you got from him? Quite a warm individual? Oh, oh ab- absolutely. I mean, listen, I mean, uh, the, the biggest sign of, of his generosity, I mean, you, so, you know, he had this very bad cancer in, in his face and, and, you know, very late in his life. Um, and it was a prodigious work of Bobby, and and and, and, and the, he, when he was diagnosed, um, and, and he was he was he was working overseas, and he said, "Well, I've got I've got to get back for the game next Sunday." And the surgeon, the guy said, the oncologist said to him, "Well, if you go back for that, you'll be dead." And that was the only mm. thing that sort of pulled him up in his tracks. But when he had all that, and then you know he he was up in Newcastle, and and he he saw. What was lacking up there, you know, was they didn't have the extent of care that that that, uh, that they should have. And he starts the Bobby Robinson Foundation, that has done astonishing work up there in the, in the northeast, and and uh, his widow Elsie carries it on, and his family do as well. And and it, that is typified him that there he is, very very ill, but still thinking of other people and still thinking how he can improve other people's lives. And and the, he was, the generosity in, in Bobby Robson's heart just just astounding really just astounding and that is why players play for him and I'll tell you he had some of the most horrible individuals as players to handle but they all they all played for Bobby because they all they all liked him there are very few players that would diss Bobby Robson really that he, he had that he had that ability to get teams together to get teams playing for him which is the which is the secret of any successful manager really and you can you can be a brilliant tactician etc etc but if you haven't got that you haven't got that ability to get a group of players together and perform for you you, you don't succeed in football yeah definitely um uh, i mean we touched on the, the oxford milk cup final but is there any matches that stick out in the memory um jim that, that you've covered um, well, well there, there are loads and loads of them. Really, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean, obviously, I guess I was I was lucky enough to be there in in Barcelona in in 1999 when, oh, wow. when Man United when Man United did that one and yeah. and 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 the, the best, <laughs> best story for me because you we were sort of you know open mouthed watching it was 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 the president of, of UEFA Leonard Johansson, a Swede who who left his seat up in the stand with Bayern Munich. One nil went down through the bowels of the new camp thing to go out on the pitch and then came out onto the pitch and thought, "Well, what the hell's going on here?" You know, <laughs> I thought, "Bayern had won this thing. Why? Why are there red ribbons on this thing?" You know, um, <laughs> and, and that sort of that that, that summed it up really for me. But I, I mean, I, I think that the, the, the thing about the my enduring love for the game and like anyone that you know is that no one can call it really. No, no, no. You know, the biggest experts they get it wrong. And 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 if you'd have you know if you'd have said on that at that time, when Man United had been outplayed for the vast majority of that, that they they're going to win it and they're going to win it like that, and that's what keeps us coming back to it, and that's what will get. I think you know we spoke early on about all that we're going through at the moment, Derek, and there's no doubt that when sport kicks in again, I mean, there's two things: it will be different, uh, there will be changes made, but on the other hand, the appetite for it's going to be absolutely bigger than ever. Because you know what you're missing, you know, and, and people are, you, you, and, and 
you take something away from somebody, it can, it can be anything, can't it? It can be yeah. a bit of food, a bit of drink, or you know, or individuals in your life. Then you you, you appreciate them even more when, when they come back. And I think the desire and appetite for sport across the board is going to be absolutely huge when when this thing passes through. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, talk, touching on, on, on the sport, of course, Jim, it's not just football you've um, uh, reported on, the boxing, uh, rugby, Formula One as well. Uh, how did you find um, tackling these di- different sports? Was it, was it a challenge? Well, again, I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I, go, I go back to, to, um, to my training, and I think where you got sent to things that you, you knew nothing about, and you had to, you know, you, you, you had to um, find out about them very quickly. And, and 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 make sense talking about them as well. I, I think the one the the one method that I've always used is that I've never set myself up there to be judge and jury on any sport. I've always relied on people that know more about it. So, to, to, and and I, I might have conducted the orchestra if you like, but I've, I've had one or two very very talented musicians who have helped me look good. And and I think that if I give advice to anybody who's thrust into a sport, I like you know, like in, in I was in motor racing, which I had a fantastic ten years doing, and I started it off by saying, look, we'll learn this sport together. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert. We'll learn it together. But I had people around me, you know, the Murray Walkers and then the Martin Brundles who, who knew everything about it. And I also found that you know, athletics was, was an, another sport. I had a very good twelve years on again starting in athletics. I wasn't an athletics expert, but you, 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 you know, you, you got people like Steve Ovet around you, and you're gonna, you, you're gonna learn, learn pretty quickly. And and I, I also think that very few people, if you go up to them and say, "I don't quite understand this," will you explain it to me? Very few people walk away. And yeah. so I've, I've used that, yeah, I've used that to, that technique, if you like, um, to, to 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 bounce around one one or two different sports. Boxing has been a great sport for me. Continues to be. I, mean, I was delighted. I went to Saudi Arabia and did commentary. We call it the World Feed, which basically means you're commentating for all the world broadcasters who haven't sent people there to do commenting on on Joshua and Ruiz too. And uh, and and uh, I say boxing has, has been a sport where I've experienced terrific highs as well. Some some very good nights so up in up in Scotland as well. I've been going way way back with Jim Watman, even oh, yeah. world champion. And um, it's it, it's. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a sport that has its critics, and you either love it or you hate it. And there are times when, I, when I've looked at it and winced, but it, it's got a fantastic appeal for me, and um, and long may it continue. Yeah, I've got to say that growing up um, in the, the 80s and 90s with the uh, the ITV's Big Fight Live, the likes of yeah. Eubank and Ben and all that, they were they were cl- they were class nights, weren't they, to work on? Well, I mean, again, it, it's you know, we, what are we now? I mean, 30 years on, or it'd be hard for people. I mean, you know, listen, you know, the other night, um, you know, the, the Queen stopped the country and, and had 25 million viewers, you know, watching her for further. But you know, we regularly we, we'd get over 15 between 15 and 20 million viewers on a Saturday night, yeah. you know, to, to watch to watch Ben and and and, and Eubank. And um, that, and that all right. There was no satellite television, but that's fair enough. But the country did stop. I mean, people in you know in big houses put, walked away from the dinner the dinner parties to watch this stuff. And it was it was uh, it was a it was a it was a wonderful time wonderful time for boxing. That really um, athletics to a lesser extent. You know, on, you know, on a on a Friday night, Derek, we used to go. 
two hours, eight till nine o'clock on ITV, and then flip over for another hour on Channel 4. I mean, can you imagine that now? <laughs> I mean, it, it, two hours of a 30, peak time on a Friday night. And, and you know, and uh, and again, we, we, we had a very great night. I think, I think Medibang and things like, like, like that as well, oh, yeah. as, as, part, as part of that whole part of that whole package and um, and it, 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 it's incredible how how quickly things change and how quickly the public appetite for things change um, but, but I, I was really really lucky to, to work at a time when there were millions of eyeballs on, on what you did and um, I'm very very lucky to be on you know the side of some exceptional sporting events as well yeah do you get a sense of excitement there, there Jim when you know so many people are tuning into you and, and, and you're the sort of face of yeah, presenting yeah. it <laughs> it's either excitement or terror, really. You know. <laughs> I think the thing about it is, though, the beauty of it is, is that it doesn't matter if you've got twenty million or or twenty thousand. That the actual mechanics of it are very much the same. You know, you 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 you're looking at a cameraman. You 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 might have got a guy. You know, you've got somebody in your ear. Um, telling, telling you when to start and, and, and when to stop and you've got a couple of guests really and you know listen the World Cup final the Rugby World Cup final that, that I did in, in, in 2003 you know I mean you knew you know England in a World Cup final in Australia you knew at that, at that sort of um, nine o'clock that particular Saturday morning there were going to be millions and millions out there and, and there is you know you, you, of course you want to get it right and of course there is, there is an, an, an extra buzz but the actual I say the actual mechanics of it. There's still only a few of you there, and uh, and and you know the the, the, the program is, is the, the the nitty gritty of the show is is exactly the same really. But again, winding back, it's funny winding back to the first live. I mean, I did the first live game football wise in, in the mid '80s. It was Tottenham against Nottingham Forest on a Sunday at White Hart Lane and I was I'd only been doing it for a couple of years T V and they'd put me up put me up to present it. It's probably a bit early if I'm honest, but but and there was a big row then in Brian Clough, who's a legendary guy at Forest as you as you know, and he said he said that he wasn't gonna come down because he wasn't gonna ruin his Sunday lunch and there was this big thing, will Brian Clough appear at White Hart Lane? Of course he did and all that. Anyway, we were getting counted down to this and it was a massive you know, the big old day, first live league game since goodness knows when. And, and it got to about six, and this director in my, in my ear said, "Don't worry, Rosie. There's only nine million watching you out there." <laughs> and, and, and it came on, and I was laughing when it came on. <laughs> and it was a, it was a great bit of direction, really, because because you know it's um it's it was a uh, it, it it just put put put, put me in, in you know put put me in the right mood. And he, he sensed and he probably sensed I was a bit tense, so he told me a little gag right before I went on. But um, but it probably it actually it probably pays not not to think too deeply about who is out there and who isn't. And, and funny enough, a little see when I go into a, into a you know a TV store or something, and, and you see you know hundreds of monitors around, and and you see one face on the monitor, you think blimey. That, that, you know, that's just this is just in a shop. You know? <laughs> that's the only time it's, where the enormity of it hits you sometimes. That there are there are a lot of eyeballs on you. Yeah, interesting. When you touched on Brian Clough, I was going to ask in terms of um, interviews that, you, that you've carried out, Jim. Have, have there been any tough ones or any memorable ones that, that stick out in the memory? Oh, there, there have been there lots, lots of tough ones, and 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 and, and Cluffy. I mean, I, I I I did interview him quite a few times. Um, he was always late, the bugger. I mean, he's goodness me, and he would always, always, always keep you waiting. Um, and uh, he, you know, he's but you always knew sitting with him, yeah, you're going to get good stuff. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson, who I 
a hero of mine, to be quite honest. And again, a very you know, I developed a, a good relationship with him because I I first inter- went to Aberdeen to interview him. Would you believe? Wow! And I went there, and and I can remember I can remember it actually. And it was it was the the the, um, the guy who was in charge of the old Saints and Greasy program said, "I want you to go to Aberdeen." I went, "Well, oh, you're kidding me! What do you want me to go there for?" You know, and it was it was January, you know, and he oh, said, "Oh, dear. there's a young fellow there who, who I know, and that he he's going to rip it up there, and he, there's a good chance he's going to break the Rangers' Celtic man." I said, "Go on, what's his name then?" You know, so Alex Ferguson. He said, "Be a bit careful with him because he can be a bit lively," you know. So I go up there. And um, and he was right in the middle of the sort of the oil boom, and stayed up in the hotel. Then he was like, "Shut your eyes! You could have been in Dallas. There were so many Americans, mm. you know, American voices there." And I went to, to see Alex at Itadri, and the wind was blowing off, and it, God, it was freezing. It was ab- and Strachan. I remember Gordon Strachan was there, and he and he came straight with me, and his his very words were. I suppose you've come up here to take the piss out of us, have you? <laughs> that was the first thing he said. And I said, well, it was a bit of a long way for me to come to do that, isn't it? You know, and, but I sort of formed, you know, and I interviewed, and Alex was great there. And, and, you know, I formed a sort of, you know, formed a relationship there, if you like, and which continues again to this day. And, uh, and he, you know, he's, but he, you know, he's, again, it's great when you sit opposite someone and you know he's going to give you something, really. And I've done one or two hard ones with, with, with Alex as well. You know, on the on the sort of yeah, when, when Eric Cantona when when he when he quit, and that was a difficult difficult time. Um, but uh, you, the, the beauty of, of interviewing someone like that is is that you you know you're not heading back down the motorway with nothing. You you do know that for sure. Bernie Eccleston, Formula One, that was another yeah. one where he, he could, could be he, he he could be tricky. And I did one with him. I you might remember him at the American Grand Prix of when I was doing it, and about six cars raced because there was a big row and 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 about tires or something like that, and a lot of teams pulled out. And of course, this was a flagship race in America, trying to get the sport going again. So the next Grand Prix. And I said we're going to have to do something. And I and we'll, just before the, you know, I said I'm going to have to give you give you a bit of a kick in here, Bernie. And he went fine. And I kept on at him and giving it. This is a disgrace to the sport. You must be totally embarrassed about this. Where does it where does it go from here? You know. And fair play. And, he, and then we we went somewhere else. And he came up to me. And if I say he gave my arm a gentle squeeze, it was a brutal squeeze. To be quite honest. <laughs> and, and he said, "You did say you're going to give me a kick in. You didn't say you're going to kick me repeatedly in the bollocks." <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so that, I, I remember a, a couple of, that that, uh, that 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 stand out there for you. But I think the great thing about interview, I think that there, there is a technique to it, and it, and it's it, and there is a technique to answer to a, uh, the way you ask a question, Derek. And I and I yeah. thought it makes me squirm these days, to be quite honest. Where a lot of interviewers don't get it, and if the question is longer than the answer, you're not doing your job right. Absolutely. And, and uh, and um, bad. There are a lot of bad interviewers about at the moment. And making statements is another another particular bugbear of mine, really. Where you know, if you if you if you go how, when, or what, you're you you know you you've got a chance. But you make a statement, you just you know you 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 it's it's too easy to bat away, really. And um, that it, it, good interviews are quite hard to find right now. Yeah, I heartily agree. Um, so, Jim, up to the, the, the present day, and of course, uh, I guess that the work's dried up in terms of the, the virus that's going on. But what 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 are you generally doing at the moment? Well, it's it, 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 listen, I'm, you know, I, I'm well, it's not 
problem. It's fantastic, and 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 I think we're we're very very lucky in what we do. In that um, there's a genuine affection and a genuine love for, for, for the work I do. If I didn't love it and I didn't like it, I would stop. Full mm-hmm. stop. Um, but um, and while and there is there's, there's, there is a caveat as well, Derek, that um, the broadcasters who carry on too long. Uh, are quite sad in some ways, and I've got a few people around me, particularly my son Tommy, who's a pretty sharp old pencil in the box, who who would say, you know, Dad, you 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 really shouldn't be doing this anymore. But uh, at the moment, um, I mean, I, I did um, uh, I, I do quite a lot of work for Man U TV. I do about twenty games a season for them, which is their their uh, Manchester United games. Um, it hasn't hasn't been the, the greatest period since Alex went, but there we go. Um, and but that, that that keeps me involved. I did Amazon Prime. Oh, I was very very uh, very happy to be asked to do those Prime video games um, uh, in in December, and hopefully hopefully that will last again. But the boxing that crops up, and obviously obviously the corporates as well. And, and I'm actually um, do a bit of bit a bit of radio. There's a, there's a, 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 a lovely station called Union Jack Radio that used me as their sort of the voice of the radio station, as, which has cropped over the last few months. So. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I'm better busy than, than doing nothing. Although in force doing nothing is, is, is a new experience, as it, is, <laughs> as it is for many people, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but as I say, I, I've got that you know that, that balance between um, between enjoying it hugely what I do, but never wanting to, to, to be an embarrassment. And, and I think you know that I've known too many broadcasters who go on too long, and then people go, you know what, he's hopeless, and actually. Um, forget how great they've been and I'm not I wouldn't wouldn't use that word about myself but you know what I'm saying and it's very easy to trash your reputation with with a couple of you know bad years or bad broadcasts and it it, it is is better to leave them wanting more if you like and the great some of the greatest um, commentators um, have have stopped people go "Why, why are you stopping now and because they knew they knew what was happening to them, as opposed to carrying on and having, I, I use the analogy, get a blow lamp to get to get the microphone out of their hands, you know. Mm. Um, but I, I just, I'm very very happy and 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 and, and always really say enjoy what I do. Yeah, I mean I am I'm missing it hugely, or you know already I'm I'm, I'm I'm missing it, and and it'll take a little bit of reconstructing, I think, sport. But when it comes back, it, 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 it'll come. It'll come back with a great torrent of, of events, hopefully. And you never know. Somebody might ask me to do one or two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Jim. Thank you very much for for coming on the on the podcast. Well, best of luck with your football podcast, old chap. Very, very good. And uh, and uh, and I just just like to say, when I, when I uh, made the point about interviewing techniques, it does not apply to you. Good question. <laughs> so, so so best of luck with it all. And it, it's been great talking to you. And let's hope uh, let's hope normality is resumed uh, as quickly as possible. Fingers crossed. Top man. Cheers, Jim. Cheers, Derek. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Ta-da. Thanks for reaching out, pal. Cheers, Cheers. Bye bye. Well, that was episode 42 of the Talking Fitball podcast with Jim Rosenthal. I hope you enjoyed it anywhere near as much as I did. Remember, if you want to listen to previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud and Podbean. We're also on Twitter at Talking underscore Fitball and Facebook as well. I hope you can join me again next week for yet another belter of an interview. But until then, bye for now.